Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're also joined by Matt Rushing from Aggressive Negotiations and the 602 Club. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing great. Good. Glad to have you on. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into, well, just a great episode of Rebels. Yeah, but before we get into the whole, you know, review thing, William, you want to tell us a couple of announcements? Maybe to brag about that awesome trip you took that you didn't bring any of us on? Lucky. Brag? No, 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 no. You guys Lucky. were welcome to come on this trip. But, uh, no, uh, a few of us went to uh, New York Comic Con. It was kind of a last-minute trip. There wasn't a whole lot of Star Wars stuff, but, um, you know, it's always a good time to see all the, uh, you know, all the fans. My first time in New York in general, so that was that was cool. Uh, we did a uh, we did an interview with Ashley Eckstein, which will be appearing on the Star Wars Report very soon, or it actually I think it might already have been released. And we did a live show from the convention floor, so I recommend checking that out. Uh, there was also the Star Wars books panel, uh, where they announced a new. Uh, a, a novel, a young adult novel, kind of in the vein of Ahsoka, which we'll be reviewing shortly, and uh, Lost Stars, uh, focused on Jin Erso, which would be really cool. Uh, there's going to be another novel by Greg Rucka about uh, Bayes and Turret, and then uh, I think a, another younger reader novel as well. I don't remember exactly because, unfortunately, at the very end of the panel, they had a, a, a big panel with... Um, a uh, long list of authors, including Zahn, uh, Chuck Wendig, um, e, uh, E.K. Johnson, a whole a whole bunch of, uh, I think, um, uh, Kevin, John Jackson Miller was there, and uh, a whole whole bunch of, of, of authors. Uh, James Lucino, it was a really great time. Um, but at the very end, that's when they finally made the announcements. And it was in the last 30 seconds. So they're like, oh, and by the way, uh, we're having these three books coming out. And goodbye. Thank you, for, thank you for coming. And so it was really easy to miss the stuff at the end. So that was the one downside. Will, Matt, even just uh, FYI, you can check that out over at StarWars.com. They did a write-up. Yes, so. yes, thank you, Matt. Yeah, for, so for those of you who, uh, unfortunately, so I just got back from the from the convention center. So I've hardly had time to be online at all. But uh uh, for the full report, go check out StarWars.com, uh, as well as our live show from the show floor on the Star Wars report. Uh, and it's always a great time to see everyone. It's it's really, if you're a fan of the books, it's the convention to be at, uh, because it's in Delray's hometown. So A lot of the every- publishers are back there, so it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So we spent a lot of time hanging out at the Delray booth, getting to know uh, a lot of those folks. So it was a, it was a very, very good time. Also, uh, if you guys watched the latest Rebels Recon, uh, I know we had a discussion about this last week. Uh, according to Pablo Hidalgo and Real Science, so this is not just a Star Wars thing, mm-hmm. uh, people can survive up to 90 seconds of hard vacuum. So when Kenneth was only outside for 20 seconds, it actually wasn't a big deal at all for him. So Those Jedi's. Yeah. So in case That's- you ever find yourself on like the International Space Station 
Just remember, yep. 90 seconds. You have 90 seconds to live. Yep. And Cannon did got out in 22 seconds or 20 seconds. Sadly, so. I don't have the force to propel me back inside the same way, though. So I feel like I'm just going to be screwed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the problem, right? Yeah, I think uh, the majority of people get inside a space station within 20 seconds. Uh, it's possible. It's just not or, probable. Right. Well, I mean, even 90 seconds obviously is the is the minimum, but beating Kanan's time is going to be pretty difficult. So. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, I, I I don't want to spend too much time on New York Comic Con, but it was a it was a great time, for sure. And uh, if I'm a little exhausted and tired, I don't make a whole lot of sense. I'm gonna blame it on the fact that I uh, only just got home and have been up since effectively one o'clock this morning. So uh, we'll, we'll allow you the nonsense this time, yeah. but it doesn't excuse all the other episodes where you've spewed nothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, you know, ouch, ouch that hurts. Wow. That hurts, Steven. Wow. That well, hurts. That's what I'm here for. Uh, and with that, I'm going to direct it over to Tom, who yeah. actually is polite to me. Well, and I, <laughs> I try to be a rundown. Okay. <laughs> Tonight we're going to be reviewing Rebels Season 3, Episode 4, The Antilles Extraction. This was written by Gary Weta, directed by Simon Rees. And I think this is the first time we've ever seen a story editor, unless we've missed this. But the story editor for this was Stephen Milching. Synopsis. Yeah, they started editing it in the last the last episode. It's, it's, a, it's a new thing where they've started crediting the story editors. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool they're doing it. Um, and sadly, we missed the last one for catching the story editor, but we got it this time around. But for this episode, Sabine goes undercover as a cadet in the Empire's Elite Flight Academy to help free several young pilots who want to defect to the Rebellion. Now, I guess Gary Widow was the original writer for Rogue One. Will he have uh, other episodes coming in the future? And did anybody catch any minor nods to Rogue One coming soon? Anything? Anyone? So, yes, he will be. So, I... I... I do know Gary Whitta will be writing more episodes. He's a he's on the writing staff now for season three, mm-hmm. and presumably four if it exists. Um, but uh, so I do know he he is on the he he is one of the the writers the staff writers for the series now, mm-hmm. and there are a few minor references to Rogue One, but they're kind of behind the scenes. It'd be really hard to notice them. At this point, um, future episodes will connect with the movie a lot more. So I take it uh, if we watch Rogue One, we might be able to catch some of those if we go back. That's what it sounds like. I was t- I was talking to to Pablo about this, and it doesn't sound like they're they're super obvious right mm-hmm. now. Um, the he wasn't sure if the episode guy was going to point anything out. Um, it sounds like they're more behind the scenes. Uh, I, I think the the one connection right now, uh, so far is the alias that Sabine uses in this episode when she's uh, infiltrating Sky Strike Academy. That's. Uh, I think that was the first time I heard it, and it's like interesting. Yeah, the alias she uses is Ria Tala, mm-hmm. and it's an unused name from an early draft of Rogue One. Um, so I think. That's the kind of level of connection we have right now, but we'll definitely be getting more of that in the future. Yeah, the only thing that really jumped out to me was just the fact that Sabine in that dark uniform um, was just a little bit reminiscent of the shot you get of Jin in the 
Imperial Disguise. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's the only thing for me that kind of like, oh, that that kind of feels a little Rogue One-ish. And, it, I mean, it's the same kind of thing, a, a girl going undercover, uh, which is great. So, you know, I think that stuff is exciting. And um, I think you guys are all right. I, it, it probably won't be till after Rogue One and we wa- rewatch this like on Blu-ray and you start picking out all the little things that they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, because like you guys said too, it's it's a little bit early um, before they really probably, I guess, want to start dropping any kind of hints. So, I was, as we're talking about this, there's that shot from the trailer where Jin is on the kind of catwalk with the Tie Fighter with the mm-hmm. clouds in the background, and we know she's in a pilot uniform. Could she be visiting maybe the academy? Oh, so you think she was probably one of the cadets? Well, I don't know if she's one of the cadets. Oh, but what if no, no, no. I see what you're saying. This is, it's just oh, like... She's just uh, visiting Sky Strike? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting theory. And now that I'm thinking Maybe about they're... it, Sky Strike is the kind of name that Lucas and Lucasfilm like to use. You know, Starkiller, Skywalker, Sky Strike. It's kind of in that, like, realm of sky murder type names. <laughs> well, sky anyway, murder things. <laughs> I don't know. Sky. I guess Skywalker is just walking in the sky, but you have like Star Killer, and <laughs> I don't know. There's something there. It's a thing. It's a fascinating. It felt thing. very reminiscent of um, the the ways in which uh, you would try and basically do a what do we call a Star Wars Top Gun? You know, like right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's another thing. Seeing the and I know we're jump. I'm going to jump. The one instructor that was from Sky Striker Base. The name kind of reminded me of the actor Tom Skerritt, who happened to have been one of the instructors in Top Gun. Yeah. And, yeah. And, oh, that's I, cool. Yes. It, it reminded me. It was, it was how it pronounced. I'm trying to get down to the notes because I know it's in the notes. Um, but Argon Relic? No, it's Vault Skerris. Oh, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's Vault, Tom, uh, Tom Skerritt, I think, uh, was the actor. So when I yeah, heard Skerris... That kind of that kind of brought me to Top Gun, thinking that he was Tom Skerritt was one of I think he was Viper. Uh, yeah, he's the he's the main um, he's the main instructor uh, who knew Tom Cruise's dad as well. Right. And so and yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't Michael Ironside. Actually, I think you. So, I could be completely misremembering this, so don't take it as fact. But I I vaguely remember somebody mentioning that this weekend. Um, maybe it was at the the Delray party mm-hmm. uh, on the on the last night, which was a lot of fun, because um, we were actually sitting Keep there with it in. Just, we, we, just we were, we were sitting there with uh, um, with Josh, who runs the Star Wars Twitter account as he he's was live tweeting the episode for the for the West Coast, and we were all sitting around him watching him live tweet uh, on the Star Wars Twitter account, which is cool. Um, but I think I think he might have mentioned that anyway. Um, Name drop. I, I, I don't I don't remember or not. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, well, what what about this? And this was this I found really cool. Um, watching uh, the the rebels the, the rebels recap where they were talking about there the possibility of bringing Biggs Darklighter into this episode. I thought what was fascinating was the tie between Sabine and Biggs if they were to make that connection. Did you guys catch that? That they had both been at the academy. No, there was a thing where if you take a look at Sabine's armor. There was oh, the, yes, yes, the, yes. Um, the checkerboard on it, and they were going to try and t- and connect the two of them because Biggs had the checkerboard pattern on his flight helmet. So they were trying to 
yeah, they were trying to figure out the best way to bring Biggs in to where he would actually um, meet up with Sabine. And they were trying to tie it to where Sabine was the one that actually gave him that checkerboard pattern. And they said they didn't do that because they, they didn't feel like that there was a like a real story there or whatever. Yeah, but I'm thinking, isn't that just the story? Like, this doesn't have to be uh, huge. Well, I think they, so they were worried about the timeline, right? I think yeah. um, they couldn't get the, the timeline to fit with when Biggs would have had to have left Tatooine yeah. and when this episode would have taken place. Uh, okay. So, that makes sense. But you could yeah. always do it later on. If I mean, we've. Absolutely. Uh, didn't you hear? Uh, didn't I hear somewhere? I think that um, Freddie Prince Jr. had said that they were already recording for season four. So they're. As far as I know, it sounds like there's definitely at least a season four. So, I mean, just put that in your back pocket and pull it out when you're ready. Right. Yeah, I mean, they certainly could do that. I, I suspect they just wanted to get this kind of story out of the way earlier. I'm not 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 hundred percent sure. We got hot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. Instead, we got we got wedge. Right. It was gonna be it was gonna be a, a a big story instead of a wedge story. And I think a wedge. Honestly, I think wedge is a big bigger character than Biggs. Well, Biggs is a kind of a one-note character. You, you know, he's the guy who left Tatooine before Luke did, and then you know he died. <laughs> and he's kind of the guy who's like, "Oh, Luke's friend that we met five minutes ago died. That's sad." And I guess. Luke will forget about him after he blows up the Death Star. Kind of like Leia forgot about her whole planet getting blown up. <laughs> Those Skywalkers. That is, that is a low blow. <laughs> care about their friends. I'm just saying, he just lost a friend. She lost a whole planet and her parents. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, That's but wait fair. a minute. But remember her lines. She 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 does say, uh, oh God, I had my tongue. Um, this is no time for sorrow, Commander. We must download the plans. Something like that. It's like we heard about Alderaan. You know, we, we, we feared the worst. We have no time for your sorrows, Commander. I mean, she blew him off that Yeah, quick. man, it's still kind of heartless, but yeah. that's that's okay. <laughs> she, you know, totally it, I feel like I have it, it, in Leia's defense in Bloodline. She's like, you know, torn up about about Alderaan, and so they. Uh, That's true. You know, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, it's strange I'll, that it's like thirty years later, and she's now torn up about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, she just remembered. Oh wait, I lost my oh, planet. Wait, wait, my whole family died, and all my friends. Thirty years. Why ago? didn't anybody tell me this? <laughs> Oh wait! I saw that uh, happen on the on the Death Star. <laughs> Oops! Oh guys, okay, we are going crazy. Yeah, we are. Uh, okay, uh, I have a question, right. for you guys. Um, Go ahead. Shoot. Because this is something that is kind of bothered me just about the character of Sabine in general. That they've given her this like really large backstory, and the character's what like 16, 17 years old. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I'm I'm I'm. When she said that she was at the academy for a lot of years, it made me wonder. So is she basically the Empire Youth? Like, she's been taken from her family early and put into the service of the Empire in the academy because she's apparently, you know, like a mech genius. So uh, is this kind of Mm -hmm. letting us know that they really do have that kind of almost Hitler Youth-type program where they— raise the kids as early as possible in that lifestyle 
But is it a yeah, hit? Is it that kind of thing just with the Mandalorians, though? Because that's the yeah, impression no, I, I got from at Governor point, Price. Didn't we read that the uh, the Empire set up an Imperial Academy on Mandalore? That's what right. I thought. And that's, I, and that's where I believe where where she went. In fact, uh, yeah, that would make the sense. episode guide does say that uh, she didn't go to a flight academy. She went to a, a an academy more like MIT style, where it's like the, the mm-hmm. you know the, the top the candidates. Academy. Sorry, the bomb academy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, the the Mandalore Institute of Technology. Uh, I totally see it. So Sabine, yeah, that's the her MIT. parents are like, we gotta get, we, we're sending you to to MIT Mandalorian Institute, something like that. You know, best Mandalorian school. Imperial. And then she gets there and she's like, Academy. You know what? I'm gonna switch my major instead of engineering. I'm going for art, art <laughs> history. And then, you know, she and her parents get in a big fight because they don't think art history is a real major. And, you know, it just all goes from there. <laughs> that was going to be an early episode, but they were like, this oh, might be guys. a little too boring. That's when she decides to join yeah. the Academy. Learned how to too be boring, bombs. Too real. Love of art history with, uh, with bomb making. It's perfect. And but I think that's cool. I, I mean, and it makes sense with what you guys are saying. So, I mean, we know that Mandalore is going to come up later. We've you know, Katie Sockoff said that she's back as Bo-Katan. So yeah. it would make some real sense that, and, and, and even the way that Price talks about her being the Mandalorian, um, there seems to be something kind of special there. So I can't, I, I really can't wait to dig into that stuff because I'm, I'm, I've been waiting for, you know, I feel like two seasons and now into three, like, it's like, let's make Sabine interesting. Um, mm-hmm. and well, and so, you notice every single episode they've started bringing her backstory now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least, no, it's not like it's not in the sorry. premiere, but uh, in the last episode, they at least they mentioned um, uh, they mentioned how she knew Maul, uh, how you know how Maul had ruled yes. her planet, mm-hmm. and in this one they're bringing up her backstory a bit more with um, uh, you know with uh, having gone to the academy. And I, you're right, though. I do want to like learn more and figure out what exactly that time is. Because going back to your original point, we know that she, um, she was a she was a she grew up as a Mandalorian, and then at some point she went to the academy. And in this episode, they clearly say it wasn't just for uh, it wasn't for a short time. It was actually for a, a couple of years, mm-hmm. implying you know at least three, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so and she, then she was a bounty hunter too. Yeah. It's a couple. I think she said two years. So it's applying at least three. And then she left that. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going. And she became a bounty hunter and met um uh Tatsu. Not, uh, Katsu, uh, Katsu. Um, Katsu yeah. I was like looking at the show notes for the the, the previous episode, almost there, but nice <laughs> for saving me. Uh Katsu Onyo. And uh she was a bounty hunter for at least a few months or a year. So we're looking at four years minimum uh, by the time she's 16 at the beginning of Rebels. Girl is yeah. busy, man. I mean, like, she has a Must more lived life, life than I do. Well, yeah. Crazy. But she's a Mandalorian. I mean, it. and, and that, thank God they're not pacifists anymore. I'm sorry. that, that Those episodes still yeah. hurt. Um, but, well, we can have the argument another time. Yeah, please. So. Um, yeah. I, I just... I'm happy we're finally getting her backstory on this. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of this because finally here's a character that's going to be, all the characters are interesting, but this is one that's going to be pushing more so going forward. And 
I wouldn't be surprised if somehow, let's theoretically say, uh, I'm just going to throw it out there, maybe the Mandalores are going to play a little bit in Rogue One. You never know. If there's some kind of nods to this, you don't know what's mm. going to be coming in the That's future. possible. Rogue One. Interesting theory. Yeah. I haven't actually thought about a Mandalorian presence in in Rogue One. Maybe they're the trainers of the Death Troopers. That somebody had to take over. Well, that or I mean, I, that or I, I like the idea that the Death Troopers are old clones that are just the elite that they've kept around. Okay. I think that would be cool too. Well, throw this one out there. I like the idea of it to be in Mandalores, but let's say could it be old Death Watch that was actually the trainers for the Death Troopers? Uh-huh. I like it. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, just Interesting. throwing all that stuff out there. But you know, let's yeah. Yeah, we we got to get into the episode because there was actually a mercy mission that was going on that started the episode off. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Because well, it, it's just a little thing, but we finally get to see a mission going to this planet. Was it Terraloft? It was. I, I, that's what I heard, and I kind of yeah. They, they, just gotta, they at least call in, right? The, yeah. You know, we we see the lady uh, call in via the the holocom and, and ask for help. Yeah, that was interesting. What what I found even more interesting. Okay, so the freighter gets in there, they get jumped, and naturally you've. Okay, the question I have to ask: the Tie Fighters that were jumped was that any kind of nod to the Legends universe? Well, oh god. Okay, this is gonna be a couple minutes. Okay, I was very very upset by this scene actually. Okay, I do not like that they introduced the interceptor. This is like. I, I accepted that the A-Wings were around because we, even in, you know, the original Legends universe, A-Wings were, uh, there were proto-A-Wings that, you know, were existed pre-Episode 6. It makes no sense to me that they have TIE Interceptors. Because, like, we even saw in this episode, these are kind of like the elite ships. If you had elite ships, why would you not put them on the Death Star? Mm-hmm. The elite space station. Like, I just... Okay. Okay. Well, Maybe let's... They were on the other side of the Death Star and could not reach... The uh, in the like half hour it took them to uh, approach Yavin Four, the Death Star is big. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I, it's, I always it's quite just big. take that as like, it's it's just production. I mean, they hadn't thought of the tie interceptor yet, but it doesn't it doesn't oh, bother me at all. Fortunately, Stephen, the the rebels and, and Matt, you're totally right. That's the that's the correct answer. I know, <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> in Universal the. And you know what? I think this is an excellent question that we should, you know, we should we should ask uh, uh, Pablo. But uh, you know, maybe you can get on the next uh, Rebels Recon. But uh, um, no, if, if you think about it, maybe, maybe the maybe the Rebels went on a mission, destroyed the the interceptor manufacturing facility or a group of the interceptors, and so they just didn't have any to send to the Death Star when they attacked. So if we get an episode like that, I will be so much happier. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I love oh, to me, but I, it's well, a, suspension of disbelief. I, I mean, that's 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 I love, what I always throw uh, out there. I I love two things about this. Okay, okay, ignoring the fact that okay, uh, you know, why weren't they on the glaring, glaring it? No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I rant over. I'm good. Yes, they're supposed to be the elite fighters, so that you'd think they're on the Death Star. Totally okay. get that. But totally. it, you know, we, we it, ignore that part of it. I love that they they still had the you know first of all it's tire interceptor this is the first time we've seen them in the show we still uh, they have sorry 
they're still amazing ships. Oh, yes. totally. And they have the same elite red striping that Baron Sintir Fell's ship had in Legends. So it's a direct callback to the Legends uh, version of the ships. Um, in fact, I thought, you know, going back to um, uh, Volt Scaris here, I could have sworn when I, before they mentioned his name, because they didn't mention Scaris's name until the very end yeah, of the episode. The I thought he was going to be Baron Sintirfell. Interesting. I was going to be really excited. I was like, is that, is that Baron Fell? Is that Baron Fell? Unfortunately, no, it's not. Well, uh, technically, Sintir would have been a little too... He's like Wedge's age, give or take. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. But I, that's not that that would have necessarily stopped them. He's a Legends character. They could reinvent as needed, of course. But Yeah, yeah. but that and doesn't... Still, in some other way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not part of that squadron at this point. It just ends up that this other guy is actually running that squadron. He could yeah. have been in any one of those TIE fighters. You just you just don't know. Yeah. Right. I mean, he, he does have a great look, though, with the mustache yeah. and the voice and everything. And I guess and, it's one of their... Another thing that would have worked well if Biggs were around, because he's rocking kind of the big stash. Yes, stash episode. Yes. Like, wow, stash you know, trainer guy. He's awful, but damn, does he rock a good stash? Also, it, and, and um, again, it's kind of interesting did that too. you've got uh, you got a couple of things. One, I think uh, just to answer the question about tie interceptors and why they're not on the Death Star, I just chalk it up to Imperial arrogance. We don't need them on the Death Star. That's true. Put them why other places. Why, why would, would we need them on the Death Star? The Death Star is the ultimate power in the universe. Why would you have the most? Yeah, and I mean, just look at how look universe. at how arrogant they were sitting around that table. You know, it was the ultimate power in the universe. So I suggest we use it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they don't believe that anybody can do anything to their new baby, and so uh, it's a really big baby. But they just they don't think so. I, I that makes sense to me. The other thing was, a wings. Their pilots and their ships get keep getting blown up like none other. Like, do they just have an endless supply of these? They have like a three. Well, that's why they had to go and get their pilots. That, that's right. And then that's why they that, steal them. They keep killing them. You know, and then and then I think what would probably benefit those A-wing pilots is this kind of simulators that the Tie Fighter pilots had at Sky Striker Base because those simulators are really cool to watch. You know, so maybe give them some flight time in a simulator because they're not doing that great in the actual ships themselves. Or, you know, hopefully uh, Wedge and Hobby can actually train some Starfighter pilots. True, true. So they can start the, uh, maybe they're the ones who start, um, you know, the Rogue Squadron. Ooh, that uh, would make me excited. That would be cool. Interesting. That would be very cool. cool. Uh, also, I have to I have to comment on how awesome the... Uh, and how great it looked when the ties dropped out of the Imperial warship. Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, there's like the, this, these two prongs in the front of the ship with the, the ties, in, you know, kind of being held in between them. And they just drop out and do this like awesome spin and fly off. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I rewatched, it actually took me to my third viewing to notice it, but it's really good. It's a really cool shot. So mm-hmm. nice job there. I, I generally haven't been impressed with Rebels space battles with the exception of the season one finale. This episode, I thought, redeemed it for me. They had the very classic kind of episode uh, four, like you said, you described the kind of the role and maneuver that and the shots that they like the longer shots that the stationary camera just they did. A, the visuals for this episode were fantastic. Oh, yeah. Done. Yeah. Especially Sky Striker base. 
how it was when you first saw it and how it was positioned with the twin suns in the background. It was just, it was a stunning shot to look at when you first see that base. Yeah. You know, but there, there's mm. something about this little fight that, that I want to bring up and it just shows the brutality of the empire at this point. I mean, your fighter escort has been destroyed. Your freighter is basically being beat up. And here you have the captain pleading to the, you know, to the ties going, look, we are unarmed. And this is what I find fascinating. He goes, we are unarmed and you have no right to fire on us. And the tie pilot comes back and says, I beg to differ. How brutal is that? Yeah. Welcome to the empire. Yeah. Well, and I, I thought that was something that was really interesting because, you know, later on, Sabine says, you know, I know the difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I think this is the interesting thing is we're starting to get to that point where the Empire is starting to show its true colors, like mm-hmm. what it really cares about and that it doesn't care about anybody but itself. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's why we're getting people like Wedge and Hobby uh, who want to defect because this is not this isn't what they signed up for Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the downfall of the empire is getting too heartless you know if it maybe hadn't been so heartless uh you know they they might have been able to continue to keep the public opinion yeah uh, enough to not uh, have the rebellion rebellion grow so much but they keep you know putting their foot down so badly on these people in these planets that they're they're just creating the the rebellion themselves through their actions i think that's really interesting yeah mm-hmm. and you, uh, well, there's a scene with wedge later in the episode where he kind of talks about he's like yeah i was just you know i was just a cargo pilot like mm-hmm. and you can totally imagine he's wedge is probably in middle nowhere corellia whatever he's just he's just flying the ship you know the empire doesn't really seem to bother him they ask him to join up he says yeah sure why not like that sounds good and like like you said they have good time, dental exactly and that's really what everyone's looking for but just each time the empire you know puts its foot down too hard that message starts going a little bit deeper and deeper until like even wedges people in the academy are like hmm maybe this isn't what i thought it was yeah and and i think and not to bring it up but you kind of see that in another character that shows itself later that you know maybe the disillusion of the empire and also the honor uh is also getting to that one character because he owed something mm-hmm. yeah. So. yeah but uh so tom going back to your your point i i love the start of this episode as you know he delivers his little line and then the ship blows up and we immediately fade straight into credits mm-hmm. was just, but did anybody I mean, else it was beautiful but it was awful it, it, it was well it was awful but did you hear that music cue that was directly from the uh empire strikes back because you you mm-hmm. heard right asteroid, before asteroid field asteroid field if you yeah. paid attention, you heard it go right into the Rebels theme. It was great. It was oh, great. Yeah. Kevin Kiner continues to do a, a great job. I just mm-hmm. I love his season two soundtrack, and I can't I can't wait for the release of the season three soundtrack. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to do one at this. point. I would hope so. The season two, I felt like he created some themes that are just fantastic, and it was really nice because I felt like he stepped that part up his game. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because season one is very much too much of a rehash of all the, the themes mm-hmm. you've heard in Star Wars. But season two felt like it had so much more original stuff and it was wonderful. Like the, all those cues that are original, I feel like stand up to anything that we've had in, in Star Wars. 
you know, so uh, even Clone Wars and then, you know, John Williams, too. I think it all sounded good enough to, to be in the same milieu. So I'm really hoping that they continue to do that because uh, this show has, has definitely proven, I think, that it, musically it can it can stand with with the best. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yes, yeah, so, sometimes it can feel a little bit, uh, you know, you can tell they didn't use a whole choir. It was yes, done, yes. Uh, it's a little too it, synth. You know, in, in the studio, a little too synth. But uh, I felt like the season two soundtrack had a lot less of that. Yes. Uh, at, least, at least it was hidden better, if it, if it was. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, and, and like you said, few, they're still using classic themes, but not as heavily, or he's he's adapting it these classic themes in a in a better way um so that it's it's new while still being familiar mm-hmm. so no i Kevin Connor continues to do a, a great job mm-hmm. um but the uh the destruction of the a-wings at the beginning of the episode actually sets us up for the rest uh, of the episode right we we've seen the the rebels again and again losing fighters and and pilots. And then in the previous episode, or um, sorry, the, the season premiere, they they went out and got a bunch of new Y wings. So we start to see how how they're acquiring new ships, but they also have to get new recruits. Yeah. And so that's what this whole episode is about, right? How do they get these new pilots to help fight uh, in the rebellion? And uh, we find out that Commander Sato has actually been working on a solution to this problem with the help of, drumroll, Fulcrum. Now, I think when they said this in the episode, I don't know about you guys, were you guys surprised to hear the uh, Fulcrum's name brought up uh, uh, in this episode? I mean, I think I knew pretty quickly it's like that's not they're not talking about Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. But, and, and Ahsoka even says as much. You mean as, well, as, Harris as says. much? Hera, oh, sorry, but... sorry, not Ahsoka. He- Ahsoka's dead. Hera even says yeah. as much. Right? Well, 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 we don't hey. know that Ahsoka's dead. Yeah, well, okay. well, I actually think she's alive, but she, they think she's dead. True. Okay, you or have to believe missing. the t-shirt. Ahsoka lives. Okay. Oh, no, you just, no, no, no. Just Lord of the Rings. Well, he said, well, he said she lives. Okay. Well, he said she lives. Okay. What I but... thought... Sorry, go ahead, Tom. Okay, what I, what I find fascinating, and, and I to a certain extent I can understand it, but uh-huh. all... All of them are named Fulcrum. It must right. be, yeah, it must be to where it could at least throw off the Empire to where if each one of them had a separate code name, is it possible that they figure that those people could be easier to find with a separate code name? This way, if it's the same code name across the board, it's going to make them harder to locate. And yeah, like because you think they're like all over. I mean, it feels yeah. like they're in the same place. I mean, in different places all at the same time, and you're like, I what? Yeah. So that, now I the feel question like that makes is... it very confusing though to like, hey guys, Fulcrum said we should come to his planet and save someone. Yeah, and but, which one and how many are there? Yeah. Right. So I think that begs the question, right? Is is are there multiple fulcrums at the same time? Or is there one fulcrum at any given time and when fulcrum uh, is uh, killed or stepped down or something, they're replaced with a new fulcrum. I, I read it as there are multiple fulcrums at that, the same that's time. That's the way I read it, too. That Ahsoka had yeah, set up too. a network of uh, Interesting. Okay. You know, intelligent agents, spies, you might say, of a maybe a Bothan variety. She has a plethora of fulcrums. Yeah. Yeah, and... and... Vulcai? 
Yeah, a, f- a fistful of fulcrums. Say that five times fast. I, I no, I, I got it uh, out once. That's all you're gonna get. <laughs> yeah, that's all you're gonna get out of that one. I thought that was. I mean, it, it it was interesting because I I don't know if they're trying to throw us off or not, but they don't hide the voice of Fulcrum very well. Okay, yeah. So let's. Okay, let's yeah. Get let's to, let's get to that one. Um, so I I, I take it. Matt, you listened to the the audio clip that was pitched up, and even if you didn't pitch it up, it, I think it's still pretty obvious. But it, yeah, as you, uh, I laid everyone me, but that's okay. He's like, oh, so you didn't listen to this, Stephen? I didn't listen to it, and I haven't. Uh, I didn't hear it in the episode either. Okay, and I'll, okay, I'll so admit click, this. Click, click the link in the show notes. Okay, if you insist. Is there a way to play I, it through the uh, through the call so that everyone else can hear it too? Uh, I'll I will edit it in. Okay. Yeah. Listen to it now. Yeah, Imperial cadets at the Sky Strike Academy who wish to defect to the rebels. Yeah, that okay. I got like two seconds. It was like okay, yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, yeah so that's a very familiar it's so draw. <laughs> I mean, feel free to say it because yeah. So it sounds, uh, you know, it sounds like callous. I mean, I shouldn't say sounds like it is callous. There is little doubt in my mind after a half second of audio. Yeah. yeah our favorite mutton-chopped Imperial had a heart of gold. Well, now, okay. so the question that... is, like, one, why didn't they try to hide it better? Because they know that fans quickly figured it out last season, right, with Ahsoka. And that was hidden better. Did they just give up and say, well, fans are going to, they're going to realize what it is, let's you know, I don't really care. Or why do you think they? Why I, do you think they would go with this again? I think it's because we we already see uh, Callus making some different decisions later in the episode. Yeah. yeah the one thing is, if you hadn't heard this, you might think it's just Callus repaying a debt, and it's not a uh, doesn't represent any larger change, but. Even then, like there's the shot of Callus later in the or earlier in the episode where Governor Price walks in, talks about you know making her mark or something like that, and you can see Callus has this look of just disgust on his face. Mm-hmm. So well, and it, I think it ties to the the first episode of the season where you know Callus is talking about how Thrawn's actions had more consequences for innocence than it did for you know actual people involved in the fight, and you can see I feel like his heart is definitely shifting i wouldn't necessarily say it's completely there but i think that's a really interesting place for us to take callus and um it makes it really interesting because maybe he's gonna be important somewhere else down the road i mean maybe callus becomes somebody that we see in rogue one and we just never even knew it mm, until we finally get yeah. it I mean, how cool would that be that would be awesome. That would be awesome. And I, I love actually the whole concept of the Callus turning because right? in the at the end of the last season we talked about this during the premiere, but we see Callus start to realize, wow, the Empire doesn't care about me at all. I'm disposable. Yeah. And then he gets to know Zeb, and you know they they go from being these mortal enemies to to actually having respect for each other, and in, in Callus even kind of owes Zeb in many ways, and so that's why. We see him at the end of the episode, you know, the our heroes are trying to escape. And they run into Callus in the hallway and they're locked in and 
you know, you see Callus there, and, and I'll admit, well, the first time I watched the episode, I missed Callus's voice as Fulcrum. Uh, I think because I was, I was talking to a f- friend briefly, and I don't normally like to talk talk when watching something, and uh, and so I missed Callus's voice, and so I saw him standing there, and I was like, oh, he caught them, and then <clears throat> that's when he says, you know, he gives him a little tip, says, you know, avoid these levels, go to the hangar bay, hits the door open and lets them leave and i was like whoa that's amazing now he covered it up and said well i owe zep mm-hmm. right that's why i'm helping um and so it could just be that right he he owes zeb he decided he would you know return the favor and now they're even and now he's gonna go after him again maybe that's the case but when you factor in his comments in the season premiere i do think we're starting to see callus change and and mm-hmm. become a good guy well, now what i want to know is how did he become fulcrum in six months how did okay. he go from being stranded on on the moon over geonosis to being a an agent of the rebellion okay in but six months has it been established that it's been six months since the last episode yeah. so it has yeah been. that was in the okay. yeah that was in the premiere okay uh I did watch the premiere. Maybe I fell asleep at just that one second when it was. No, it was, I think it was a, <laughs> kind of a quick thing. Okay. No, I, I think when it comes to Callus, I think it was the episode with he and Zeb that he really, at the end, started turning. And it, who's, yeah, but they, who's to say at that point? And, and, yeah. Yeah, but when did say, he make contact with the Rebels? Yeah, but who's to say and at I, that I point he didn't start? He, he didn't start at that point to try and make some kind of contact because you could see that when he got into his quarters that it's just – it was Spartan – and you could okay. I know it's an animated character, but you could tell that there was like the thought process was was going on. It's going. You know what? There was a connection between he and Zeb by way of honor, and then maybe yeah. that was the thing that started getting him down the path to, to try and figure out his feelers to get to that point. And we don't know what he saw between the six months between then and his comment about Thrawn. So it could have been somewhere anytime within that, and maybe he knows the right connections to make it quick. Well, and I think it goes along to what Wedge says again. You know, he's like, this is not what I signed up for. Right. And I don't think this is what Callus signed up for either. I think, um, you know, he, he talks about what had happened and what he had done to the Lasats early in the series. And then we kind of walk that back uh, when we have the episode with um, uh, Zeb. And we learn it wasn't, it really wasn't as bad. In fact, he's just been putting on an act and so i think what we're getting is a character who wanted to be a really ba you know imperial mm-hmm. and grow in the ranks and he felt like the best way to do that was to pretend to be the biggest meanest baddest dude out there and but that's not actually who he is mm-hmm. i think that's a really neat thing to get in that side uh and again honestly it's it's very lost stars um, mm-hmm. with uh, Thran. Totally. Uh, so I like that a lot. Um, and I think it's it, it it's it's making the Imperials more interesting than just being just the bad guys. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. cool thing to do. And it's a neat thing to do for a kid show too because I think it's showing them that some people are really bad and some people are aren't all the way bad mm-hmm. and, and people can if, change yeah yeah everyone can change and and in in our 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 
goal should be to give them the chance to change. And then if they don't, then, you know, we know what you need to do. <laughs> but we, we also need to give them the opportunity to do, to do that and make them feel like they're welcome to do it. And I think Zeb and, and you know, Callus uh, gave each other that opportunity uh, in that episode. And I think Callus really saw something that he just never thought he'd expect to see. And I think, again, it just makes for such a cool, really enjoyable story. And it's it's a lot more depth than you would expect, you know, from a kid's show. And, mm. you know, that's what we've come to expect after the Clone Wars. Yeah. Definitely. And so I, I think this story is a really cool one. Um, I kind of wish we'd seen more of Callus's turn in some ways, uh, his, his reaching out to... To, I don't know, bail or someone to, to become fulcrum. But uh, we may uh, still get some of that at some point. We it may get surprise it. Me. We may get it. But but then again, sometimes I have to sit there and ask, do we really need to know that answer? Is it something that we need no, to see and, at this and point? And for the show, fair point. Yeah. And for the show, it makes it more interesting when all of a sudden you see this character who you thought was bad. You know, he's now uh, secretly fighting for the rebels, which is mm-hmm. just such a cool, cool concept. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm really excited to see where they take Callus's story. I think it'll be, it'll be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but anyways, Fulcrum, Fulcrum tells the rebels that, uh, there are some Imperial cadets on at, at sky strike Academy that want to defect to the rebels, but he doesn't know their names, uh, or, you know, really who they, he doesn't know who they are aside from the fact that they want to defect. And uh, so, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt again. I just realized, so uh-huh. this makes so much more sense when Callus later says that he couldn't find any evidence of any of the uh, yeah betray like anyone like he couldn't find anyone. Right. He's like, yeah, sorry, right. I yeah. looked, I couldn't I find him. Right, because the he... rebels that I'm trying to help escape. Clearly, no, nothing's going on here. <laughs> Pay yeah, no attention to the man behind the curtain. Pay no yeah. attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Oh, that is <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, but right. anyway, it's, sorry. Continue, William. So they give Sabine the job of going on this mission, and of course Ezra complains, like, "But I did this last time, right?" In the in but the... I wanted to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. He whines more than Luke <laughs> yeah. Skywalker. I'm sorry. Uh, I know. Yeah, I know. But uh, but they give Not the holocron. Sabine All he's role. done is whine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I I'm kind of done with his whining but yeah uh they give the they give the job to sabine instead since she was an imperial cadet and has that experience and uh i i think it was really cool and it was a nice episode where we got to focus on sabine uh so you know she gets to she gets to the sky strike academy on montrose and wow isn't that a so the some of the the look of the show is just so fantastic in this mm-hmm. episode You've done a really good job this season and uh and you know the 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 cadets get off the Lambda class shuttle. Love seeing the Lambda class shuttle in the episode as well, and uh, and they 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 go and they they try to check in, and Sabine's credentials, her ID card, basically doesn't work. Yeah, do you so... think that was like? I, I, I'm curious, Matt. Oh. Do you think this is because? Um, like did she did she do something to the card to make it work the second time or was it just bad? I yeah, I think it was it. because it was the uh, the creators here with the sly Nintendo joke. 
uh, I'm going to blow on the yeah. cartridge and it's going to work. I mean, that's exactly what she does. And, you know, uh, part of the audience will get that. Part of the audience won't. Uh, but it is very funny because that's how we used to fix Nintendo games back in the day. We'd blow on the cartridge and then put it back in and, oh, it works magically. So wow. I I was laughing hysterically. That was, I think, my favorite moment in the episode because it was just so off the wall. Oh, wait, wait, let me rub it and blow on it. You know, like, yeah. that'll fix it. <laughs> it's kind of like when we used to just hit the TV to make mm -hmm. it, you know, work. Uh, hey, we don't do that. I, I remember yeah. those days. Back, yeah, back in the days, Sonny. Yeah, I could get it to work. Well, there is one thing, though. At this point, love the episode, but there's one thing that bothered me. After she sat there, blew on the cartridge, she never put her helmet back on again. And you're looking at all the other... TIE pilots. They're all walking around with their helmets on. She did it a lot in this episode. Now I understand you want to know that's her. but mm -hmm. And more importantly, they don't have the budget to create the, the models for all the other pilots. Oh, wait a minute. Good point. <laughs> Never thought of it that way. <laughs> Never thought of it that way. It's which a little bit easier. Sense. Just tweak their body a little bit to make them a male or female. I, it's the same right. reason why all the Imperial officers have the helmet over their eyes. That's, you actually can't yeah, right. see their face. Oh. To be honest, I was expecting Sabine to have like a dash of color on hers, maybe, and then played off as like some paint spilled. Or that, okay, so actually, what do. did you think of her look? Uh, I liked it. I loved it. Yeah, I, I liked thought she it a looked lot. better with the the uh, the darker brown hair that was like I don't know, it was less kind of crazy, brightly mm -hmm. colored. I thought she looked. It was a great look. Well. The, the whole costume, everything. And what got me is when you when you originally saw the commercials for this episode, because her hair changed, I never thought that was Sabine. I thought she was one of the cadets because you did see her at the end salute along with Wedge and Hobby. So I thought she was just one of the defecting cadets. I never connected that was her until this episode. Yeah, no, I, 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 it was a great look. Yeah. Uh, um, and... Uh, and so we get to see her dealing with, you know, the commandant Argen Relic, who is the overseer of the Sky Strike Academy. Who I think, in, in contrast to Sabine, who we all said is, uh, uh, you know, looks great in this episode, he, not his 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 look, but his voice. He had a very interesting voice, and I, I actually didn't see him in the credits at all, but uh, I I love the way he was like. With all due respect, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like... I I couldn't place the like the characterization, like the uh -huh. like, but it was it was so familiar to me. It was oh maybe like out of a like a maybe an old Looney Tunes no kind of cartoon. Can, the can... first time I, I I saw the episode, I I laughed literally laughed out loud when I heard his voice for the first time. Did you guys ever watch yeah. the, the show episode. Get Smart? With Don yes. Adams? Yes. Yes. Sorry about that, Chief. Smart. So he's very hoity-toity. He's very... That's... That much. Yeah. <laughs> that That's right now when you brought that up, that's what it reminded me of. Maybe a little higher pitched, but it's almost yeah. that way. Close enough. Yeah. Totally right. You're totally yeah. right. It was a, um, it was it a very fun me, accent. It, it reminded me of a voice that we had heard in the Clone Wars somewhere. Uh, and I, I swear that it was a character, uh, from the Clone Wars, like somebody had played that character. Uh, 
and uh, I, I just know don't know. I mean, like, it. I don't see it in any of the credits here on IMDb, so I can't tell you. But it just sounded like one of those Trade Federation types Yeah. that you had heard in the Clone Wars. Hmm. Oh, uh... I Did think I just it, jog something? Yes, I think it's uh the the banking clan will sign. Yes, you. yes, oh, yes, that's oh. it. You mean the one we that with all the panels? <laughs> yes, huh? the one the, the yeah. banking clan with the panels. Yes. Yeah, no, it's the that's the mutants. That's no, the, the mutants. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Yeah. I can't. I'm so glad we figured that out because it was driving me crazy <laughs> this second viewing tonight. You're right. Actually, it sounds exactly like immune. He sounds exactly like immune, except he's a human. Um, <laughs> With a really nice sound. Immune to their accents. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, moving on. Can, can we just say that I love that uh, my favorite governor is back? Governor, governor Price? Price? Yes, I love Governor Price. I don't know why. I just. Governor I Price, 2020. There's... Awesome. <laughs> oh, there was awesome. that first shot of her. Maybe it was just me. Did it look like what she was cross-eyed? Did anyone else notice that? When no, I she think I stand- missed that. Okay. Mm-hmm. There, was, I, there was something where just the angle on her face looked like it was her eyes were not pointing in the same direction. It really threw me off, but maybe it was just me. No, I, I, I missed that. Anyway, but I, I, do, I think she's going to be the, uh, the face of Thrawn for a lot of the first half of the season. Uh, I agree. Mm-hmm. And, wow, that. she she was pulling out. She had some great tricks up her sleeve too mm-hmm. in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I loved the Tie Fighter shot. I assumed she was gonna like maybe call in a Star Destroyer or you know something else to try and capture them. I loved when the wing just popped off and I'm yes. like, well, that could have gone better. Which did you guys notice is exactly like the old. Kenner TIE Fighters. Yes! Where you press the button and wings would explode off. It was so cool! I did not notice that. I did not notice that. I had one growing up. An an older one, because I was too young to have it when they first came out. But uh, I I had one of those, and it was was so cool that they they figured out a way to get that into the episode in a way that made complete sense. Total sense. Mm -hmm. Total sense. I I liked uh, how uh, Sabine calls out, We've been sabotaged! Like, duh, you don't have to say that, Sabine. Going back to uh, in the... In the uh, Twi'leks of the Night conversation the with Riley Blanton, yes. <laughs> How much he hates exposition. <laughs> but that was one of those moments where it's like, yeah, that line could be cut and we'd still know exactly what happened, even <laughs> a five-year-old gets that they've been sabotaged. Uh-huh. Yeah. But so that I, was such a cool scene, though. I yeah. loved that. I will say that... W- this scene also had the, my other big annoyance with the episode, which is that apparently no ships now have shields. Like, the TIE fighter showed up and it started attacking the uh, Corvette, and they're immediately blowing chunks out of it. Uh, good like, point. Good point. Uh, I mean, and I don't know. It felt a, li- it felt a little weird to me. I'm, as I'm thinking, I don't know if we've ever actually seen shields in the movies other than have them referred to. Neither of you guys remember by chance? Hmm. I, I, it never okay. they, they talk about them, but yeah. they never seem to. They I never, mean, it's, it's not like a Star Trek thing where you really understand yeah. how shields work. Like they just talk about it, but they never actually seem to have isn't, them. Isn't there a shot, the deflector shield? Isn't there a deflector shield shot 
of the Millennium Falcon being chased yes, by the there TIE Fighter? Yes, there is. In, uh, episode I think it's four? Five. Yeah, you're right, you're right. It kind of like wraps around the, the Falcon almost. You, 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 see see it, it, yeah. you see it coming around the back, the backside yeah. of the Falcon to where the Falcon's facing forward, and it's coming up, coming on the engines. The TIE Fighter's coming that direction. Well, I'm um, picturing another shot where it's up from the back, and it hits the top of the ship, and you can see the Falcon kind of sway back and forth a little. Yeah. It shudders. Oh, I see that push. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. There's that one too. Anyway, so I was a little irritated that the tie interceptors are just immediately destroying the Corvette. Okay, maybe again, maybe they just can't afford shields. I mean, this is the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then again, it costs I, too much power to to power those shields. Okay, but I have a question for you, Stephen. What did you uh, think of Sabine taking her helmet off when she was inside a Tie Fighter? Uh, I thought they that, were pressurized. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because that it's... also that also flies into the face of when they were in the Tie Fighter earlier, the one that she she uh, graffitied, mm-hmm. and they stole a Tie Fighter then, and they were in a and I think it was not just her, it was her Zeb and Ezra, I think, in a yep. Tie Fighter. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, I... a couple. Times. I, I I thought the you know, Tie Fighters did not come equipped with hyperdrives or. Uh, what the hyperdrive? The, knew about the, hyperdrive. the helmets was because they didn't have a life support system. Yeah, and that would be the maybe, same for the Tie Bomber too, wouldn't it? Maybe because these are trainer Tie Fighters. Maybe they did something a little bit different. Uh, yeah, actually, maybe they have a life support system in the trainer. Yeah, we'll go with that. Life support systems and training vehicles, because you know those stupid the cadets are just like, "Hey guys, yeah, uh, okay, okay, I, okay, no, wait, wait, I made <laughs> okay, well, wait, 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 but, but maybe. Maybe, because uh, th- there's one thing we did skip over. There was a great pep talk by that instructor that said most uh-huh. of you will fail. Okay, maybe the reason, you reason why... The helmets off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there you go. It's like you happen to have been the one that pulled the wrong... You happen to been the one that pulled the wrong TIE fighter. You pulled your helmet off. Uh, you fail. <laughs> I, and that, that speech was straight out of Top Gun, too. Yeah. Uh, so I, I liked that they were really just embracing that whole idea um and it made sense like that you know uh even the empire wants to have its elite pilots the ones that it's not going to have to keep replacing hopefully Mm -hmm. so i i love the idea and just the whole thing just the base the the look the feel the Oh my gosh, I can't think of the word, but the the things that they're sitting in, um, practicing. Um, oh, those. the, the yeah. simulators. Yeah, simulators. the simulators. All yeah. of that was just so cool and so well done. Like I really, I thought that the production value of this episode was really high class. Okay. Like they spared no expense yeah, to but, use a Jurassic Park term. But there is one thing they did miss. Ghost Rider uh, did not buzz the tower. That is true. <laughs> they did not buzz the tower. Yeah. I would love to see her uh, them have an imperial spill coffee all over his uniform, his calf, you know. <laughs> or at least a blockade runner buzzed the tower as they were yes, leaving. Yes, that would have been awesome too. Uh, I could just see Ezra saying that Ghost Rider requesting a flyby. Negative, negative, Na- negative. Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. Uh, oh, that would be even funnier if it was actually the ghost. So yeah, the ghost doing yeah. the well, the ghost almost because remember that was part of the simulator because when yeah. Sabine was in there, and which was such she, a great scene. That was a great scene because because I think it was at this point you kind of you kind of see that the, the 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 mentality of the Empire because 
here you have Sabine and Wedge in this simulator attacking Y-Wings, okay? Which you knew it was a simulator because she's firing on, on Y-Wings. Then all of a sudden, it's like they got a brand new target over here in this one sector, and it is a disabled transport with almost the exact same dialogue we heard earlier about we're unarmed, all this other stuff, and then the ghost comes in. Mm-hmm. Okay, and... and and first off, I, I kind of missed a thing where Sabine is sitting there looking at this transport going, you know, she's hearing fire on the transport, but she brings up regulations. And you almost hear her say, doesn't regulation state board? And she gets over the intercom, no, fire. And then I think at that point you see the ghost come in. So it's mm -hmm. interesting that, that the mentality of you've got somebody who's trying to be by the book empire regulations – board the transport but now you've got the real empire behind her going no you're going to destroy the transport and any transport could be a warship because that ship the ghost was turned into a warship yeah there, there so there's two things i love about the scene one the fact that we we got to see the ghost from the imperial perspective right yep um where sabine is actually she actually gets killed quote unquote by her own team's ship yeah, and and afterward we hear the the commandant talking about how you know uh, I'm sorry Captain Volt Scaris talking about how dangerous the ghost is and and the rebels are right and and why you can't trust them he says you know the, the ghost is a has been modified for combat and the rebels are a dangerous group of extremists who will fight by any means necessary necessary to undermine our authority and it was a it was a really cool really cool to see that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. so I loved that. And the other thing I loved is that we actually didn't know this was a training mission until, oh, yeah, until Sabine got shot and, and, and was blown up. And I kind of had a feeling when I was watching it, like this, you know, she wouldn't be, she wouldn't feel comfortable killing, uh, rebels and firing on this ship, right? She wouldn't be able to do that if it was real. Mm -hmm. That being said, uh, it was really cool when finally the, the you know the the simulator ends and we cut to uh, yeah, the 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 instructors standing around the table. The lights turn on in this big cavernous hangar and these that was cool circular uh, pods, the cockpits of all the Tie Fighters just rotate around toward them and the tops open and everybody hops off these wingless cockpits. Very cool scene. So, I, I love the look of that. I would. I, honest, I was a little, that. I was a little disappointed in Sabine. Like, if you're going really? undercover, I feel like the first rule is don't draw attention to yourself. Like, don't disobey orders when you're literally in a situation where it has no impact on anything. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you know what? Blend in, blow up the transport, be a darling student. No one's gonna notice. Okay, but well, maybe that was to... her way of like. Trying to draw out the people who might think oh, like okay. there you go. Yeah, yeah there okay, you go. I take it. I take that back. That's a really good point. Because Wedge, even, and that's the one thing that kind of overlooked during that whole simulating thing. That was great banter between Wedge and Sabine. But mm -hmm. that was the thing that kind of had Wedge sit there and say, "Look, you better watch yourself." So, and that mm. did kind of flesh them out. He's wanted Ben. Yep. He has a death sentence on twelve systems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I love the simulators. Have you guys ever been to the uh, Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C.? Yep. Yes. I have. 
my one of my fondest memories will always be going to that museum where they had the simulators that would actually let you flip upside down while you were flying. And I mean, you're flying planes, not, you know, TIE fighters. But it was just it was so much fun. I remember, and this was at, uh, this is how old I am, at Disneyland, where they had a simulator like that that would rotate the 360 in all directions, and you had to land on an aircraft carrier at the end. It would launch you from a carrier, and at the end, you had to land on the carrier. And you did the whole dogfight. It was so fun. Love it. That sounds really cool. And and, and yeah, what what I like is also the, the simulators do look like real life simulators. That's kind of, that's pretty much what they look like. Yep. Um, And so, uh, you know, I I was, we were watching the episode with uh, Riley and Bethany who are in, you know, the Air Force ROTC and they're like, yeah, that's exactly what, you know, what what we would do. Um, So it it was the, the little, the little touches there were fantastic. Mm -hmm. And and the little details, also little details, like uh, just while they're walking around the Academy, there's different chatter in the background. Like, uh, much like in A New Hope or in The Force Awakens, where they're walking around and the, the stormtroopers are talking, you hear some of the cadets saying, like, you know, what do you think of the GG1? And I'm looking forward to the F40s. You know, like having their like background chatter, if you listen carefully, which was... was oh, did you see the new T-16s? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nah, I'm looking forward to the T-18s. <laughs> Fascinating. Haha. <laughs> anyway... Uh, so I, I, I did enjoy the whole, the whole training scene overall, but that is actually what allows Sabine to get to know Wedge and the rest of the group. Well, Uh, I think she would have found Wedge anyway after Wedge is like, guys, we're in the public hallway in an Imperial facility, which probably has cameras everywhere, but let's be like, let's, let's talk about our plans. And it's just that the scene where in their hallway and. Just was like that's that's a little obvious. Maybe don't talk about your plans to betray the empire. Okay, quite so quite so loudly. Yeah, okay. loudly in a public hallway. Okay, do you think that, or do you think on a catwalk in the hangar, and you're sitting there having almost the same discussion, and then you introduce yourself as a you know a person from the rebellion, and give a full name right in the middle of a hangar. On a training base. Yeah. Is true. that any better? <laughs> no. That, it, I'm glad those scenes were fast because it was very clear to me that they're just like, we need to move the episode along. Right. Let's just let's get it over with. Find the rebels. Move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Priorities. But uh, what's really cool is not only do we get to meet Wedge, we also get to meet Hobby and, and Rake Gari, Gari, uh, I think is how you pronounce him, J-H-R-E-E, who unfortunately, as soon as I saw him, I knew he was going to die. Because if Wedge is going to defect and Hobby's going to defect, we both know they show up in the films. Who's this rake guy? Red shirt. Uh, unfortunately. Sorry. Unfortunately, R- wrong, he wrong science fiction series. And <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate, too, that uh, he happened to be, you know, I, I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure some people might complain like, oh, he you killed off the, the one guy who wasn't white, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But here, here's the well, I don't know. I was going to say, he, was he a character in one of the books? Because remember, there were supposed to be those books. No. So not not yeah, one of the, he, the young reader novels. never shown up anywhere else. So, okay, like, so he's his, not from the... the only thing that he could do was die. OK, right. That, that was really well, his, his only. Well, I'm, I'm so 
Go ahead. I mean, he, could escaped, but they, he could have escaped, but they they had to have some sort of consequences. Well, right? that's one of the things that I was surprised about is that there were so few of them that they're trying to get. Like all that you, work. Yeah, all just, that work just for, for two three. pilots. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it was so I was kind of hoping that you know maybe you'd have it, four pilots plus Sabine, uh, at least, uh, and then you know you can have one die and you still have one three. But yeah, when they only you know when the episode ends and you've only got two pilots, I mean yeah, it's going to be Hobby and Wedge, and we know they're going to survive, but it it just feels like that's a lot of work for two pilots. They really are putting it all out there and getting so little in return right now. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it and again, it, when you're running a rebellion like that, there's I, not a lot you can do, you know, this was what I felt about the whole episode. I, I wish huh? they felt like either they, they weren't committed to playing things out. Like in the case of the end where the, uh, the head pilot kind of nothing really happens with him, which we'll get to when we get there. Or like I, I kind of wish Jake had survived, and maybe he was a character we could kill off later. Because now it's, you know, there's, there's no danger for a hobby or wedge anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Like I hope they show up again, but they, more than almost any other character in the series, we, not we know nothing can happen to them. Right. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Like at least leaving if they'd left Jake around a little bit longer, or sorry, Rake. Rake. I don't know why I keep thinking it's Jake. Yeah, He's leave him not around, Jake, Jake from like, State Farm, but <laughs> he could he could be the guy that we get to know a little bit, and then you know he's lost on a really important mission, and it affects everyone. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? like exactly. I think that would have been really cool to have happen. But yeah. but then again, I, I think well, it may have been said there was no consequences for their actions of defecting. Governor Price had to make it had to make an example of what was going on. It cannot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, she could have brought all all four of them back in for interrogation. But what better way to set an example is to just get rid of one of them on the spot to where if there were any still defectors left over, at this point, they would think twice. Right. And, and you could just, like, it, it was really hard to see Ezra have to, you know, he, he flies into the system, gets attacked, the wings pop off, and he's forced to leave Sabine, and Sabine, Hobby, and Wedge all get are, are captured after um, uh, after their their friend is killed, and they're taken to this interrogation room, which um, I actually thought was a a, a fun scene. Um, yeah. Well, okay, now wait a minute. For me, the, well, the best part of the scene was the butt kicking. But you know, oh we'll yeah, get to that in a yes, minute. yeah, yes. No, I, I mean, so Stephen, what 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 yeah, did you know? So, so I I liked the scene. I just I wish that it again. It felt like they were trying to. They didn't have a way to write themselves out, so it's like, oh, Sabine will rescue herself. Okay, but it she was Mandalorian. I'm, okay, okay. Yeah, but it's, when, I, yeah, I, I know so it's like a cop they... out. I, I know it's a cop out, but also you, you got to think of the reasoning. She she was put she was sent on that mission for a reason. She knew the imperial you know imperial handbook back and forth, backwards, forward, mm-hmm. wherever you want to call it. Certainly, yeah, yeah, certainly. And also, because of her background, she's good at hand-to-hand combat, she's good at blowing things up, and she's good with weapons. So she had mm-hmm. three things that would get her through that mission to be a success. So you knew at some point she was going to pull on some of those skills to get through, and it just so happened to be the butt-kicking was the best one. But I wish it had been more than 
I wish it had a, a different sort of opportunity because I really felt like it was why even capture her if she's just going to kind of immediately escape and escape while mm. under guard with people who knew know how uh, you know what her training is. Mm, good well, point. I think that it felt it's... like she was never really in any danger because she just escaped so quickly. But I think it's partly what we were talking about earlier that they're continuing to build this thing about Sabine's backstory and reminding of us and showing us now, like, Mm -hmm. um, because it's going to play into the series, um, you know, I guess midway through this season. And so uh, I feel like this was a way to show finally just how good Sabine is against one of the top Imperials that we've seen on the show. Who was terrible at hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, well, I mean, well, she wasn't. She wasn't 80, awful. 85%. She just yeah. was at against somebody who was better than she was. And I remember, I mean, I looked at my wife and I was like, "Sabine better kick her butt because she should be able to mm-hmm. because she's, you know, um, a Mandalorian." And and then she did, and it was great. Um, I, I think it was a nice way of giving Sabine a moment that doesn't feel forced or anything like that. It just feels natural for the character. And I think this is for me the the reason the whole episode is really, it's just the best Sabine episode we've had in the season uh, or the series mm-hmm. ever uh, because it all feels organic um, and it doesn't feel like they're forcing things. It just right. feels like the storyline they've set up for her and what they've told us about her is actually kind of coming to fruition through the 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 scenes that they're putting her in and so i don't know i didn't i didn't feel like it was weird or or whatever for her to to be captured um i think it was more of a learning moment for our ezra who in this episode has been having such a hard time not being in the That's middle true. of battle and it's more about him than it is about her right and i think for him it's it more crazy. of a thing for patience because the one thing he didn't have in this episode was patience and I think that's what Kanan was trying to, to impress on him, especially yeah. during the yeah. first battle and leaving leaving Sabine behind or at least sitting there waiting for Sabine to even give a call. Just Ezra needs to understand patience. Yeah. And trust his friends. True. I mean, the same Very way true. they trust him, he needs to trust them to be able to get out of situations without him because being a Jedi doesn't mean you can be in all places all times, you know? Yep. So. Definitely true. I, I will say I did kind of like earlier on in the episode uh, when they're meeting in the catwalk, Wedge and Sabine have this exchange where Wedge is like, okay, what's the plan? Team is like, I don't know. We're going to figure it out as we go along. And Wedge, of course, is finds that ridiculous. And I, mm-hmm. I really liked later on when they're in the cell, Wedge looks at Hobby and is like, well, we're just going to have to figure out a plan. And I don't know. We'll make it up as we go along. And then, of course, Sabine is the one to uh, solve that problem for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> my, my, my favorite, though, one of my favorite lines actually has to be when they, uh, when Sabine finally does escape and she runs over to, to Wedge and Hobby's cell and they're sitting there talking, like, maybe, you know, maybe we can surprise the guards. What, with our lack of planning? And the door slides I open. I love that line. And, yeah. and they're like, Sabine, we were coming to rescue you. And she looks at him and goes, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. It was such a great scene to show, like how you know they 
they clearly don't know what they're doing yet. Uh, they're, they're not experts just this. yet. Yeah. But Sabine They'll is she's ready to kick butt. She knows she knows what she's doing. And uh she also had her fair share of insults you know against Callus as well, you know, before he helped them. She says uh, she tells him, looks like you finally found someone who can do, actually do your job, referring that... to uh, Governor Price. And was... Yeah, but but uh, that's the one point in which she never expected that toward the end of the episode almost came back to bite her because Callus yep. was the one that actually helped her escape. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So they, they hop in the TIE bomber, as, as we talked about, and we get a brief Force Awakens reference with Wedge saying, I can fly anything. Um, oh, I didn't even catch that. That's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, can you can you fly? He says I can fly anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So he, apparently, very... him and Poe are like cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I mean I, I think that's I mean Poe is basically like a, a Han Solo slash Wedge type character. Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah, not... and since what's his face didn't want to Dennis Lawson didn't want anything to do with Star Wars, they're like, well, we'll just create somebody else. Yeah. Right. This, this Poe guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a, a pretty cool chase uh, sequence through the clouds with uh, Volt Scaris pursuing them uh, with his TIE Interceptor. And one of my, another, I think probably my favorite, one of my favorite shots from the, the episode is, you know, they're, they're zooming through the clouds and all of a sudden coming directly through the clouds right at the camera is the Corellian Corvette, like mm-hmm. you know, the, the Tantive Ford style ship, comes right at the camera and goes right past. And it was like, a, I, I don't know about you guys, but I really liked that uh, that yeah. shot there. You know uh, what I? It it was it caught me off guard and it was so cool. What I thought within this whole sequence that I liked the also was when the tie bomber was was shot at and it was trailing smoke. That was one yes. of the coolest things to see, and. I, I loved that shot. I loved how they were able to play that with any kind of maneuver the TIE bomber did. It was trailing the smoke. And just watch that visually. It was visually mm-hmm. done very well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah, so I kind of mentioned earlier, the thing that really disappointed me is there was Wedge and Hobby are supposed to be you know, these great pilots that the Rebels are picking up. And I, I thought they were setting up this... Uh, the way, like to have them prove this, you know, Wedge talks about being able to fly anything, and I figured, ah, oh, like they're gonna do some tricky maneuver and knock out uh, Volt Scaris's Tie Fighter during the pursuit, and in the end, not nothing really comes of it. Like Volt Scaris just kind of flies on home, really. But and ma- that... I, I... go ahead. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. But 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 that leaves a good villain now. If they ever bring Wedge back. Wouldn't that be great? Now he's got a rival, and it's this—it's this guy. I hope so, but I, I just—if that was the direction they're going, I wish there was a little more personality between the two characters. I didn't think there was ever much conflict between them. Good point. Wouldn't, wouldn't fans though complain if a tie bomber outflew a tie interceptor? Tie interceptor. No matter Not how good a pilot you are, Wedge, best pilot this side of the galaxy, Antilles. Doesn't matter. Well, I mean, until Luke Only, Skywalker. But I mean, yeah. okay, sorry. Best pilot without the Force. Or I mean, How's Anakin that? Skywalker. I mean, any Skywalker. Okay, but I mean, they—they're cheating. They've got the Force. Well, they 
could take yeah. a time bomber back towards Sky Striker base at the last minute. Well, pull I, I up, actually, I was, I was hoping they were going to try and like lead. Uh... And uh, the Imperials have come and, and captured Steven. Yeah. Uh, so, so while he is uh, currently being interrogated by Governor Price, um, man, I, I'd I'd be interrogated by Governor Price. Same. <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> See, I'm not the only one. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. No, what I, well, you know, if if Wedge, I, I'm, I'm not here, even gonna go there. No, it's okay. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to figure out if Wedge could take that tie bomber, and actually he could fly anything and outfly that tie interceptor. I think the best way for him to have done it is actually pull some kind of wacky maneuver to bring it back towards Sky Sky Striker base, and oh, hey, look, the Imperials are coming after me as well. I've got a Who's phone next? call. Matt, yeah, I know. You or me? Funny? Oh. Wow. I, 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 it's not me. It. You know so, what? But they're coming uh, after uh, us. Uh oh, they're coming after me too. Hang on for a minute. Something, something, something's happening. I don't know. <laughs> but, All right. I've I've uh, escaped from the Empire. I'm back. Don't worry. Oh okay, good. So have I because the phone's now done. Oh, <laughs> coming after all of us. <laughs> anyway, so I was. I, don't, I was oh what I was hoping would kind of happen maybe was like maybe like they maneuver Scaris through the clouds and maybe they're able to like drop a bomb onto him when he doesn't expect it. I don't know. It could have been something cool, but alas, okay, not um, unless unless it was unless it was let's theoretically say a heat-seeking missile, a tie well, bomber. Uh, it, it would it would uh, have to it would have to be like a they would really have to have a lead time on that bomb. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but okay. I I hope that Scaris will come back at some point in the future and kind of make this feel like something that was it was worthwhile. They were well, the close-up shot that off. they gave of him though when they got away, mm-hmm. I, it made me feel like He's that was back. the villain shot. Like, oh, I'm coming for you, kid. Yeah. Like. You're gonna get it next time. The the snide really the whiplash where he's got his uh, on the mustache. He's got the edge of the mustache between his two fingers, going, yes. "I'm coming <laughs> for you, kid. I'm gonna get you yet." Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's I mean that's about it in this episode. Uh, we, you know, uh, Wedge and Hobby are taken back to the rebel base where they they meet uh, Commander Sato. And are welcome to the rebellion. Uh, I I loved. I'm trying to. Remember, do we? I don't know if we talked about this already. But I love the moment where, uh, where uh, Sabine is introducing uh, Wedge and and Hobby, and she realizes she doesn't actually know Hobby's real name. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just his nickname, right? And as we all, as fans know, Hobby's name is Derek Hobby Calivian. Um, but uh, uh, I did not know that, by the way. I mean, yeah, I'll... so it's actually Derek, right? Uh, but but she never actually finds out his name in this episode, so she just pauses and is like, and it's a hobby, and just rolls with it, which is I, I love that that little touch there. And it's the first time also that we see the GR seventy five Rebel transports uh, that were uh, first made an appearance in the Empire Strikes Back that the Rebels escape on. So lots of firsts for Rebellion uh, Rebel ships. In this episode, which has been cool, and Imperial ships. <sighs> so I think, I think with that, yeah, it's ratings time. Yeah, let's head into the yeah. ratings. Uh, Steven, do you wanna do you wanna go first? 
Yeah, I guess I can go first. So, I actually came into this episode expecting to rate it a little bit lower than I think I'm going to. Uh, uh, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna give it a. I think I'm gonna give it. Uh, let's call it seven. Uh, six and a half Wamparats out of ten. And it's not that I felt that the episode was bad. It just I felt like I. Maybe it's because I'm such a wedge fan. I was hoping for just a little bit more. Um, either a little more space combat or a little more kind of depth in the. Uh, I guess I, I guess the way to describe it is I was hoping for a wedge episode and got a Sabine episode instead. And it was I saw that it was a good episode. There were just pieces that maybe they'll come into play in the future. I was just hoping to see them kind of play out in this episode. So I think I'll do six six and a half out of ten. And I gotta think of something clever to do with my Womp Rats. Um, well, so let's just say Sabine was not the only person sneaking into the uh, academy. One of those stormtrooper uh, cl- type. Wow, I can't, can't talk. <laughs> One of those tie pilots was actually six and a half womp rats kind of stacked on top of each other, <laughs> sneaking in, try and raid the cafeteria of the academy. Fascinating. They have really good tacos. You, you have no idea. You wouldn't <laughs> think tacos? they would, but. Yeah. I, I've heard something about their tacos. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Taco Tuesday is huge. <laughs> oh, jeez. Sombreros and everything. <sighs> Sombreros on top of the tie, so tie helmet. I don't regulation. I don't think sombreros are regulation at all. Well, they just sneak those by, like so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll go next if you guys want. Since go ahead, sure. Uh, I'll be in the last couple times. I uh, don't want to make you guys always go first. Um, I uh, I enjoyed the episode. It was it was cool to see Wedge. I think he, he I, I think they stayed true to Wedge's character. Uh, some people worried about his backstory and stuff. I I think it all still fits. I loved. Uh, I loved my, my favorite part about this episode was Callus, right? Uh, I loved seeing Callus start to, uh, you know, getting hints of these fulcrum and start to help the the, re- the rebellion and that sort of thing. Uh, the rest of the story, yeah, I think it, it could have been bigger. It's still relatively small and self-contained, but they're they're doing a great job, and I think this season is continues to be far and above superior to the previous seasons. Um, you know, where I think in seasons one and two, some of the episodes early on were kind of hit and miss. Uh, not ever bad, but not necessarily great. And I feel mm-hmm. like all of these have been, you know, have been have been very good and enjoyable. Um, and, you know, we're only, what, three episodes in, but uh, or four if you include the two-part season finale, season premiere. But uh, they're doing a great job. So I'm going to give it uh, eight Womp Rats out of ten. Uh, and... My Womp Rats are, uh, well, they were thrown in prison, but uh, but Agent Callus let them out. So this this time, Callus oh, is nice of him. Yeah, that's a nice guy. He's going to let them out and, and direct them to the, the nearest docking bay with a Womp Rat-sized TIE Interceptor. Such a nice guy. Yeah. He really is. Okay. Um, Matt, would you like to go next? I'll go last. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. Well, I, I just really, I think, any, anytime so far that the show has said, oh, we're going to do a Sabine episode, my first reaction is, oh. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, it, this one really blew it all out of the water, I think. I think that they are really starting to use this character wisely. And that's really good because she's the one character I feel like has 
had just lackluster uh, character development. And when they've tried, I just don't think it's worked quite well. And this time, I think they nailed it. Um, I think they did everything they needed to do to make her compelling and fun uh, and and use her well. Um, And so I was really excited about that. I'm excited to see the backstory here for Wedge and Hobby. I hope that they continue to be a part of the Rebels crew and that we see them again. I think that would be really neat uh, to have them kind of be um, the new A-wing pilots. That I mean, they've got those models now, so let's use so them. Hopefully, won't die this time. It's, yeah. Well, and we know well, they won't die this time, so exactly. uh, yeah, and, I think that's fantastic uh, to send them on some some missions, or just have them be the ones that are starting to train the pilots. I think that's fantastic too. So, uh, all in all, I think this is a great episode. It was interesting to watch Ezra's continued training and the struggles he's having trying to learn from. Uh, Kanan and, and Kanan has become an incredible teacher, I think. Uh, yeah. And very, very Zen, very Yoda, I feel like, in that sense, where he's going to give him all the advice he can, but this kid's got to make his own mistakes. So um, I love it. I thought this episode was fantastic. I think this is eight and a half out of 10 Womp Rats. Um, strangely enough, my Womp Rats, uh, they visited the station, they stowed a- away with. Sabine on the Lambda shuttle. They were just walking around uh, the station looking for the new T-16s, which they're really excited to get a hold of. Uh, they still haven't found them yet, but luckily all of them are alive, even the one that's a half. <laughs> that That is just okay. fantastic. Yeah. Okay. I know. I, apparently Womp Rats are like... Uh, I think, what, the worms? I mean, you can cut them in half and they're still yeah. they're lizards. They just grow they back. Like, their three limbs. hearts <laughs> something, something like that something like that something yeah, like this that. really lucky womp rat they're very yeah. mysterious rodents oh it's yeah yeah so ah <sighs> okay. yeah i know i'm bringing up the rear bring on this home. one all right i'm gonna bring it home um you know what there's really not much more i can say about the episode that there... i'm gonna i'm gonna cheat on this one guys you guys have said an <laughs> awful lot about it okay no i i i will say one thing i am happy that this was an actual episode that did focus around Sabine. It wasn't always about Ezra and his impatience, his learning, his whining. You know, you got a little <laughs> bit of that, but you ha- you have an actual episode with a different character that brought a different tone to the show. And I liked it. Um, I like how they brought in Wedge. I liked how they brought in Hobby. I agree that maybe there could have been a fourth guy that could have been the red shirt instead of the third guy, because that way now you've got a couple extra guys that you can bring into the rebellion and kind of use so we could get to know them better. Um, but hey, what happens, happens. I would like to see Scaris come back at some point. I think he is a very interesting character, and I think he could play a very good foil later for Sabine or for Wedge at some point. I uh, would love to see that happen. Um, I am going to give this... I'm going to give it a straight eight. Um, enjoyable episode. Liked it. Visually, the episode had some great shots and loved how the production guys were doing uh, the work on this. Outstanding. I am going to take my Womp Rats and the uh, Y-Wings that were in the simulator. Well, those really weren't simulated Y-Wings. They happen no. to have had... Uh, yeah. They happen to have had... No, uh, they yes. couldn't have. The yes. Empire is awful. Yes. We yes. have to... We, they we have killed to innocent yes. Womp Rats? The four Y-Wings were innocent Womp Rats. The uh, um, 
it was a yeah. translator that was basically translating Wampratese into English to say, please don't blow up the freighter. And it was actually a Wamprat at the helm of the ghost that actually shot Sabine. So wow. that's what happened to my uh, Wamprats. That well, was you heard it here first. The official yeah. language of the Wamprats is Wampratese. Yeah, there you go. Also, this really explains why uh, Imperial pilots aren't very good. They're trained by Wamprats. There you go. Same Actually, thing with the stormtroopers. Shocking. Same thing with the stormtroopers. Stormtroopers can't hit anything because they're wild rats. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I think we better do coming up on the uh, next episode of the uh, rebels. So, uh, I'll you know what? I'm on a run. I'll take this one. Coming up on the next uh, next episode of Rebels, it is season three, episode five, Hera's Heroes. And the synopsis for the episode is Hera's rebel supply mission to Ryloth becomes personal when she and the ghost crew brave overwhelming Imperial forces to recover a memento from her ancestral home. Now, every time I hear Hera's heroes, I think of the Clint Eastwood movie, Kelly's heroes. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. I doubt it's one in the same. I thought you were going to say something like, what is it? Hogan's heroes. (laughs) Oh, I, I, the thing is, I feel bad because I honestly have no idea what that is, other than... That's... Oh, I never thought of that one with Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes? No, I know Hogan's Heroes, but I keep thinking of the Clint Eastwood movie. I've Heroes. never seen it, though. You've never seen I, it? We just uh. need the Imperial in this episode to be like, I know nothing! Nothing! <laughs> that would be callous. That would be callous. That, that's callous that right would there. be callous. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> I'll play a behind the scenes. He's like, I know nothing! Can, can you see him saying that to Governor Price? <laughs> Amazing. Actually, that's what. Um, uh, oh, now I gotta go pull up the. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Colonel Clank. Uh, no. um, the um, guy from the beginning of the episode, the the commandant. Where is he? Oh, oh, you mean you mean the the actual. Uh, I know who you're talking about. It. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember Alec? his name. Uh, yeah. Argon. Argon, Argon Relic found it. Okay. Yeah. Instead of saying, with all due respect, he's going to say, I know nothing. Yes. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it would work. I think, I think, I think work. it works. I think that would work. Yep. So with that, um, I think we know nothing about this next episode except for the synopsis. Yep. But uh, in the meantime, uh, because Hera's Heroes is next week, but we're actually gonna be, immediately after this going to be recording our review of Ahsoka, which will be coming out um, in the next couple of days. We want to give you a few days to read it, but uh, if you don't have it read right away, that's okay. You can still download it. You can leave it as unplayed uh, in your podcast player of choice and then come back to it when you finish the book. We want to have it there ready for you when you're done uh, because as we're recording this, Ahsoka comes out in about well if you're on the uh east coast or you buy your books digitally uh it comes out in about 50 minutes so get ready uh ahsoka is awesome it's really good and if you are uh if you pick up the audiobook you can listen to ashley Eckstein herself read the story and oh, it's that would be so, really cool. so good that's really cool uh, yeah so uh highly recommend it stay tuned for our review coming very very soon just hours after you listen to this. With that, Matt, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you, Matt, show. for coming on. Yeah, guys, sure. I had a blast. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Uh, well, well, you're always welcome on the podcast. We're going to have to get you back on 
uh, it's it's always fun. Yep. Uh, can you tell people about your your podcast? What you do? Yeah. Ooh, definitely. Oh yeah, are. definitely. Um, you, uh, you can find me all over the place. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter. Uh, Matt Rushing zero two. Um, I have a few podcasts, a, a few on the Trek FM network. You can find one called the orb about deep space nine. That I do with my co-host Chris. Uh, I do one with Bruce Gibson and Dan Gunther uh, called literary treks on the books and comics of star Trek. Uh, we also interview the authors. A lot of the times uh, we've had John Jackson Miller on a few times uh, talking about his star Trek books. So if you appreciate him as an author, a great place to check him out. I also do uh, the 602 Club, which is our general geek show there. We cover, as well, a lot of Star Wars. We actually have an individual Star Wars feed that just has the Star Wars episodes we've done. So you can check that out as well. And then I do a podcast with my good friend John Mills over on the Nerd Party Network called Aggressive Negotiations. And each week, uh, we just kind of pick out a topic from Star Wars we want to talk about, whether it's some of the implications of Season 3 of Rebels or uh, talking about uh, we've been going slowly through all the different soundtracks for the series, things like that. We just we just have a great time, so I hope you'll check that out again. You can find all of those on iTunes as well, um, so uh, just look them up, and uh, you'll be able to put them anywhere you would like so yeah thank you again so much guys this has been a blast very cool thanks for coming on definitely definitely and you're always welcome back and with that uh we'll be back very soon with our review of ahsoka thank you for listening to the ion cannon podcast your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far far away including rebels the sequel trilogy spin-off films and more if you like what you hear Please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help the show grow within the Star Wars fan community. Visit our website, ioncanoncast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also get in touch with us by emailing contact at ioncanoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any of their respective trademark or copyright holders. Any and all opinions expressed on this show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans for fans and is copyright 2016.